0: Hello, and welcome to From the Peak with hosts Howie Outerbridge and Peter Sonier where innovators, leadership gurus, and plain old awesome people are interviewed to hear how they have gained clarity in their lives and improve their view from the peak.
1: Welcome to From the Peak. Uh, today we welcome John Davies, and um, you know John, I was, I was, we were laughing about this, but we should really change the, the, t- the title of this podcast to, from the beach and talk about our epic mid '90s van trip to Baja, Mexico, and back. But, but unfortunately, um, we've got a shorter show today and a G-rated show, so we won't be able to to talk too much about uh, about Baja.
0: And we're both retired and highly trained professionals now.
1: That is correct. That is yeah. correct. Our, I mean, our, our perspective has changed, right? From the peak, right? We've, we've gained clarity and vision. So, so um, <laughs> thanks for and maturity me. and maturity. Don't forget maturity. Absolutely. Right. And Hey, just a little bit of a background for our listeners. So this podcast is, is actually building on an article that will be coming out at the end of December in uh, people talk magazine. And the article was entitled Beyond Swinging a Pulaski. And, you know, the article really focused on the skills developed on the fire line and how our wilderness firefighters, uh, when they come off the line or when they retire from, say, that, that part of their lives, they close down that, what do they bring into a more traditional work role? And really, I mean, coming out of the last fire season, I know we're going to talk more about that um, with John here. It just seemed like it was a, a, timely, uh, a timely article. So we've got John on the show, a bit of background on John. He, um, he started with the rappel cruise in Salmon Arm with the Rap Attack program in 1993, uh, and he hasn't left fire since. He's been involved now in all levels of fire, including running crews, uh, lending his deep expertise to operation centers, and also partnering with municipalities to reduce the risk of forest fires. So he is truly a wildfire management specialist. It's a great pleasure, John, to welcome you to the show.
0: Thanks, Howie. I appreciate the opportunity to come and speak what I'm passionate about and what I've chosen to make my career in.
1: And really, that's Kind of what it's all about, right? Like I met I met you in 1994. Actually, the first thing I remember you saying to me was um, "drop and give me 50 push-ups." So um, I mean, since then a lot has changed, right, for both of us in our careers. But at the same time, we have this very, this this um, you know, it was such a foundational experience for us, I think, um, in our career So yeah, today is just really catching up a little bit and and hearing more about. Um, about how that has maybe impacted your career and your vision from the peak.
0: Well, it certainly got me where I am. I wouldn't be doing what I am, uh, for a career, for, for a job creating a consulting firm. If I, if I didn't have that experience, um, you know, and I, and I never thought that I would, you know, be consulting while I was fighting fires. I always just thought I would continue fighting fires and, and that would be my life within the government. So, um, yeah, it's certainly the perspective has has changed from when I was on the fire line to being a consultant, uh, to being, you know, this far into consulting. Uh, you know, there's been a perspective change throughout my consulting career as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's sort of interesting to, to think about about that, right. And how, you know, when we get into these these roles, and you never really know where where they're going to go or how they'll they'll shape you as a professional, but clearly, and this is one and of a, the reasons. Yeah. Why and a person, was, you know, yeah. and a
0: person. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I got to say like this summer was, um, and I, you know, I haven't been active on the fire line now since 2002, but for some reason this fire season felt like it was the worst on, on record. So how, how bad was the season in BC this year?
0: Dep- depending on how you want to measure it. Um, you know, it was bad if you want to, if you want to call, you know, losing a whole town, uh, the makings of the worst fire scene ever, then, you know, we certainly saw that with, with the almost complete destruction of, of the village of Lytton. Um, but you know, with regards to total hectares, uh, burned, then really it's only the third worst in history. Uh, 2018, 2017 were the, were the worst. Uh, first and second, you have to go back to 1958 to find the third one. Uh, but this one, I, I think, by the time uh, all the hectares uh, get completed and, and mapping, and the and the year finally ends, which is actually March 31st, right. um, that it'll it'll end up being the third worst as far as hectares hectares burned. Um, 868,000 is what what the count is currently on the website. Yeah. That amounts to I think somewhere around. $565 million in suppression costs. Uh, that, that total will go up because it doesn't ca- account for, um, uh, or sorry, the cost of the fire season will go up because those are just suppression costs. Those aren't anything like recovery, rebuilding, any of that, you know. We're, we're certainly got to be somewhere... You know, by, by the time Bliton gets rebuilt and, and all the recovery aspects go into, the, you know, the First Nation communities that were, that were impacted and, and whatnot, we, we've got to be somewhere near a billion dollars in, in economic impacts of, uh, of this fire. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's substantial. Um, there was, you know, just over 50 days um, in a, that we had a state of emergency uh, in, in B.C., Uh, We had over 180 evacuation orders and over 300 evacuation alerts. You know, those all have impact on on the economy. They have impact on people's lives. They have impact on on mental health, Um, uh, especially with regards to, you know, some of the more vulnerable communities um, uh, that are impacted, like the First Nations and, and, you know, the whole town of of Lillewet. So uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're economic. And then there's the, the mental health impacts of, of a fire season.
1: Yeah. You know that I think the one stat, and I know we we shared some statistics leading into the show here and, and that was the one really that, that jumped out at me, 181 evacuation orders, 304 evacuation alerts. And yeah, there was a fear. Um, you just felt like with the smoke and the heat that there was, it was a, it was a bad, it was a bad season. I mean, I was driving through Lytton, um, on the Monday, uh, of the week that it, it burned and it was almost 50 degrees outside and, um, in an un conditioned vehicle. It was, uh, it was amazing how, how hot it felt. Like it did feel like, like an oven. So yeah. And you mentioned mental health too, just how that has that, that state of fear, um, has a real, has a profound impact on, on the people of British Columbia.
0: Yeah, you know, both during the fire season and, you know, when, when you know, when a, when an incident's going off and it's threatening your community, but, you know, also uh, if you're evacuating, you know, these 100, these evacuation orders, people leave their community, they leave their homes, they leave, you know, their livelihoods behind in some instances. And really they often live in an information vacuum where they don't know what's going on yeah, um, yeah. deep within an evacuation order area and they have no idea uh, if their home has been impacted, or 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 their uh, business, if if that might be the case, and and um, you know you extend that to to First Nations, and you know and they have you know uh, cultural areas and historical land use areas, and and you know those those uh, have an impact, you know uh, on their on their future as well. Um, so it's yeah, it's there's 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 the whole economic and financial aspect of it. And then there's the people side, the social uh, impact, and that you know goes right from people losing their livelihood or all their belongings to um, just impacts on their mental health and probably some aspect of uh, of PTSD or something similar that they have to deal with in, in you know forever. The people of Litton are still dealing with it.
1: Right. Yeah, it's so true. Um. Hey, I want to just give you an opportunity just to tell our listeners just a little bit about your your relationship with fire because, you know, again, I set the tone at the beginning, nineteen uh, ninety-three, and, um, you've been involved ever since. So what has that been like for you?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's been, it's been a, a great career. I can't imagine myself doing anything else. I mean, you know, if you can't be a surf coach in Baja, you know, you might as well be in the field of fire. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, as you said, I started in 93, um, and, and 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 rather serendipitous, be because uh, they were only taking four positions that year, and I didn't make the cut. But then um, one one person, another person, or one person got injured, and someone else dropped out late, and they took two more of us. And I ended up just grabbing that that sixth spot. And and so you know, uh, just by chance, I ended up you know on a on a fire crew or in the program. And so that was ninety three. And then of course, you know, came on in 94 and, and, um, that was a really big year, I believe a dozen people. Yeah. And so, you know, on a crew of 36, that really dropped down that took out a bunch of experienced people. And so that second year, I, I, I moved into a lead hand position. I kind of became a, a semi leader on base or, or whatnot, you know, being only one of 24 experienced people left. Yeah. And, um, and then, yeah, I was there until 2002, I think. My first seven years were on the ground and then the last three were in, were in the helicopter. Um, and that really changed the job, right? I went from being on a crew and working with people uh, every day to sitting in the helicopter and kicking people out and trying to keep a pilot happy. And, and that really changed the dynamics of the job for me. And uh, in 02, I, I left, I had an opportunity uh, to go and, and do some prescribed burning. Uh, through a consultant I had been working for in the winter and there was a, a woman involved and was pulling me out as well and, and so I, I jumped ship and I and, uh, ended up consulting for a couple of years and, and then 2000 that was 2002 and then the summer of 2003 happened and I uh, ended up in the Charlottes working like uh, 15 days on and six off and watching the news every morning of the whole province in in this crazy heat wave and, and fires everywhere. And, and we were getting hammered with the only bank of clouds in BC that were uh, raining on us. So it was a bit tough to see. And I got home one after one shift and I had a call from the province asking if I'd come out and be a rotary wing bird dog officer. So I did that for the last six weeks of the summer wow. and um, yeah. And then uh, the filmman report came out in 2004, which is a provincial review and uh, I had just left the consulting to take, or my, the consulting I was working for, to take over another consultant's business doing prescribed burning. And and Filmon uh, report came out, and that was the uh, report that uh, recommended the government get into community protection type work. And they threw a whole bunch of money on the table. And I was well positioned uh, as a professional forester and having operational experience in fire to. Um, to to jump on that. And so I I really started helping communities and and working with them to try and protect themselves and expanded the company from just doing prescribed burning to doing anything with fire. So community protection, uh, fuel management, uh, still continue to do, to do burning, uh, tactical planning for communities in the province and parks. And, and, um, I was doing a lot of work for BC parks up in the interior and I decided in 2008 to move up here. Yeah. And, uh, and because uh, the, next recession, the recession hit 2008, the, the housing crunch and everything kind of tanked, but there was a lot of funding and, I, and a lot of communities were still interested in this work. So uh, continue to do that. And I've been, I've been doing nothing but uh, community protection for uh, the province and local governments and first nations um, ever since I, I did stay on the fire line with my contract crew uh, right through till 2017, Elephant Hill fire was my last fire. And uh, I just kind of saw the writing on the walls with the quality of the cruise and uh, kind of a race to the bottom, um, you know, quality really didn't matter. And, and so I am, and, and the, and the consulting was really busy. So, uh, got out of that, um, and just focused on yeah, the, the consulting side of things. And I've been lucky enough to work in all over BC and, and, and a bit in Alberta, uh, up in the Yukon and Northwest territories. And I did three months over in Indonesia in 2016. So, um, yeah, it's, and then when we were firefighting, of course, we, we often did trips back to Ontario and, and Saskatchewan and, and, uh, um, on, uh, Quebec. So yeah, we've been lucky enough to work in a lot of different places and and, and I'm doing what I enjoy. So uh, I, I, yeah, I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, uh, gosh, I, um, I mean, you and I've spent a lot of time, um, talking over the years, but there are definitely some parts there that I didn't, I wasn't uh, aware of the rotary bird dog piece, et cetera. But, but, and that's why, you know, that's really why you're here, John, not because of your stunning good looks um, and your surfing ability, but, but really because, you know, again, for the, a lot of the HR listeners too, right. They, you know, if we, if we sort of go and we categorize, you've worked at all levels, you've worked, you've been a consultant, you've been an employer, you've been an employee, you've worked in different countries, Um, And with certainly a number of different um, instances of of fire, right? So you're a great person to talk to about the heart of this podcast, which is transferable skills. So, you know, what do you see that um, really set wildland firefighters apart um, when it comes to their transferable skills and what they take away from their experiences?
0: Yeah, you know that, that's a good question because there's there's probably a very extensive list of, of skills that you learn on the fire line um, that you, you do you uh, learn working on a base for summer with forty type A people um, working working for the government uh, working on a job where you're constantly on call. Um, and then working in such a dynamic system as, as a fire is where anything can happen at any time uh, with little to no notice, um, including, you know, changes in weather, changes in fire behavior, equipment, not working, helicopters breaking down. Right. So you, 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 um, you get, you get trained really well to do your job. And then you have to take that ability to do that job uh, into this, this fluid ecosystem uh, where it's, things are always constantly changing and you need to make decisions quickly. You need to be able to adapt, you need to uh, be a strong leader in those situations because people are relying on you for decision-making and, and, and skills, um, mentoring, et cetera. And then you, you you need to take those crew and you may put them into a cohesive team yeah. Um, yeah. And, and and you have goals and objectives that you need to meet. Uh, as a team, and, and so you need to, and uh, and then and of course those people that are on your crew or even you know within the whole program, you're mentoring them to take over because you know it's kind of like this conveyor belt of resources. The older people leave, and the younger people need to be able to do that job, so they need to be they need to be trained. And so uh, you know, I think I think having people come out of it and they have a, a strong sense of leadership, um, they're able to make uh, they're able to make decisions. Uh, with limited information and with changing information, they need to be able to adapt, uh, to difficult situations, uh, whether that be, uh, the physical environment or social environment of, of, of different types of people that you have to deal with, or you might run into on a, on a fire line or, or on the base, um, or at a fire camp. And then you, you need to be able to work in, as a team and, and, and build up that team spirit, that, that camaraderie. And, uh, and and also be able to deal with adversity because it's constantly coming at you in that in that arduous environment of 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 uh, of fire um it's really you know as much as we try to predict it it's really unpredictable and anything can happen at any time and and, you know we've both been um privy to you know accidents on the fire line and and how quickly they can happen and, and especially you know Uh, with such a safe work practice as we had. So, you know, that, that, that adversity is, is always there. Um, So, you know, I I think, yeah, the the leadership to be able to make decisions, adaptability, creating a team and promoting it and then, and then um, dealing with adversity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, I I think back very fondly of, of the summers, right. And you you've used the term fluidity and adversity, um, arduous, these, these words that sort of describe what it's like on a, on a fire line. And, uh, like, I remember, I remember, um, having to, uh, cut down a, a 1500 year old Doug fir that was on fire and, um, you know, biggest tree I'd ever dropped. And I'm, I'm kind of halfway into this tree and an ember from, you know, the canopy floats down, makes its way past my chainsaw guard, past my glasses. (laughs) And lands in my eye and burns my cornea in the middle of this, this, uh, this, you know, dropping this tree. So, so now I've got one eye and I'm halfway through this job, but you kind of just have to keep going, right? Like it's, uh, these crazy things that, that, that you, that you have to face and, and overcome. Um, so like Mm -hmm. listening to, listening to you talk about it, and I don't know whether you've ever, you know, I don't think I've asked you this, but what would be the top three things for you, right. That, that you've developed and that you are, um, maybe you're taking away from those on the
0: line experiences. Oh, I, th- I think getting back to um, the leadership aspect of it, being able to, 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 to lead people, not be a boss, but like lead and mentor people and, and build that team uh, to achieve an objective or a goal. Uh, I think is something I feel I feel quite confident about um and and I you know and I I think I learned some good things about different styles of leadership from all the different people that I worked under while I was there and and you know and since you know I I, you can learn you can learn a lot from people both what to do and what not to do or or how to do something or how not to do it and so I, I think uh, and then you have to be adaptable with the different people that you lead. Not everyone can be led the same way, and you need to recognize those um, those characteristics of people and uh, and provide. And so I, I think I think that yeah, that that leadership and team building and empowering your employees and your staff to to make those decisions and be ad, be adaptable. And uh, I also think you know um, that that ability to make decisions split this, you know, uh, split second decisions in some instances, or even just take all the information, synthesize it and go, this is what we should do. And here are all the resources we have. And here's how we're going to get this done, but also being flexible enough to change that decision when new information presents itself or someone else presents a better idea and not be soul sold on. We have to do this because that's the decision I made. So um, I'm always revisiting, uh, schedules and <clears throat> work plans and stuff to make sure that they make the most sense given changing changing conditions um and then uh uh being adaptable you know that's that's important on the fire line it's important in life i think it's important in any any job because unless you know less you're 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 on a sending line you're doing the same thing every single day there's always something that's changing in your workplace, whether it's, whether it's the people or the job or, or tasks that get thrown at you. Um, so, and, and that's just life in general too. You need to be able to adapt to situations. And I think that dynamic nature of, of firefighting, um, has provided that to us, you know, pumps break down, chainsaws, break down, embers end up in your eye somehow. And, uh, you know, um, weather, weather changes, um, helicopters can't bring you water like right and you have to adapt to to your plan um so i think that's important and um i'm really bad at math so i'm going to give you a fourth one uh (laughs) uh, i think i think one of the other things i really learned uh on the fire line uh working with with such great people and then ending up in the in a in a career where you eat what you kill is is work ethic right You, Mm -hmm. you constantly have to be grinding you're always looking for another opportunity Um, you know, where, where's the next new thing. And, and I, and I read this uh, paper recently, it was about, uh, red, red oceans and blue oceans and how, you know, the, the ocean, the, the the color of the ocean being, um, about opportunities and competition. Right. And if you're always in the red ocean where people are like beating the crap out of each other for, uh, you know, a job or something. It's 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 a it's a very stifling place to be. But if you always seek out those new opportunities, that blue ocean where you might be the only one operating in there. So I think that that, that work ethic of always trying to excel and, and and be at the forefront of of change and innovation. And, and really, you know, when we're talking about my the stuff that I do, we're talking about protecting communities. And so we constantly to be adapting looking for the best means to be able to do that for local governments so that stuff like lit doesn't happen yes
1: yeah interesting so what color was the ocean in Baja do you think
0: uh it's just a lovely blue (laughs) (laughs) it was you remember remember the pelicans in the waves (laughs) while you watch the pelicans just dive in yeah, when the waves are coming in and they could see the fish and it was yeah, and the dolphins right, Those, yeah. they would come in once in a while and even the even the the locals would get excited about that. It was just just yeah. amazing water, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. amazing water.
1: And again, a great I know a great parallel between you know the work that you're doing now and being successful as a consultant and you know the what you need to do to be successful. So yeah, I can see a, definitely a strong parallel between the skills and the competencies that you develop you know, not just on the line, but also working with people and leading people in those kinds of environments and, and you know, the environment that you're in right now. Um, I guess what I also say too, like this isn't sort of a promotional podcast for the BC Forest Service or Wildland Forest Service. It's, it's really like, you know, tree planting, it's commercial fishing, it's working on the rigs, right? Roles where you have to work with other people and you have to work hard and you have to work hard in, in tough environmental conditions, right? These are really great experiences for our young people to have to learn about themselves and the strengths that they that they have so um i wanted to kind of wrap up our our podcast today just asking you know what advice would you give to parents of kids that are seeking out these kinds
0: of roles Um, yeah what advice would you give to them well you know it's a very difficult um it's a very difficult job to get into uh, it's, there's a, there's a real high demand for those positions. And, 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 a, and it, I think it's still the same or, or it used to be anyways, you know, people didn't tend to leave that often, you know, when we were there, I mean, I was there 10 seasons and, and I think we were close to the same. We knew people that were there after us, you know, so some people are there, you know, five, 10, 15 plus years, some, you know, never, never leave. And so there's not a, a lot of positions available. And so you need to really stand out um when you're applying for this. And, and so I think going out and seeking um specific training, uh, whether it's first aid training, SAW training, um, some type of leadership um, and, and experience uh, in those aspects, I, I think will help put you ahead. Um, you, yeah, you just have to you have to be something different on, on paper, right? Um, so I think that's important. Um, as I said, you know, this, this, this job is uh, it's kind of like never, Neverland, land and, and people can stay there a long time and it can become stagnant. Um, the money's good. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, certainly a whole lot better when, than when you and I were there, you know, so I think these young kids coming in and, and making a, a ton of money um, need need to have an exit strategy to get out or, or something, some avenue for that money. Um so they're either contributing to their, their future or their careers in in, in some regard, yeah, um, okay. and, and know what's next, right? If that's what you're going to be doing, then you know don't just stick with that crew, but look what's the next position. Not that I can go to, or if you're going to go out and go to something else at university or whatever, then how do I how do I get there? Like you know have a have a plan. Yeah. Um, and then I, and I think that, I think the last one that it's important is that you know the firefighting's changed now. You know, back in our days, we were you know there weren't a lot of there weren't as many interface fires. You know, towns weren't burning down in there, and there wasn't this yeah. fire departments weren't out there when we started. Right? It's only been like since, well, 2003 yeah. really, and and certainly in the last six or seven years, it's become more prominent. You know, and I I know guys on the fire line 2017 2018 that were you know 100 days on the line, and they maybe had a handful where they didn't have a visual on a house or a power line or a road or some other value like that. Right. And, and, and so I think there's a real need for not, not uh, like critical stress management. Right. So we're putting, we're putting young kids, kids in very difficult situations where they have to make some decisions that they might have to live with for a really long time. Right. And, and uh, in some regards that's unfair. um, Right. And, 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 and so, I think it would be very important for a parent to have a real good understanding of, w- of what their child might be exposed to in this, and mm. and to be there for them, and to make sure that there's that communication. And because I think, because the, I, I'm going to guess that the predominant gender in firefighting is still male, uh, you know, there's probably still that whole marble man of you know, just suck it up, don't don't think about the the emotional toll, and and you know, I still look back, you know, as as a 50, 39 year old man, um, some of the stuff that I, you know, I saw and had to deal with. Right. And, and, you know, here I am in my fifties, you know, having to come to terms with it. And I think that if you're starting kids out in that, you need to make sure that they can accept that um, they, they can be vulnerable with it and ask for, for help, but be there for them to, to kind of preclude that request. And, and so I think that real emotional support, from from parents and, and whatnot is, is important if you're gonna throw your kid on a you know not not you but if your kid's gonna decide to throw themselves in front of a, a yeah. fire and to protect a community
1: yeah you know it's been really interesting back to the mental health piece there and emotional support like it's been interesting to see how municipal fire has sort of gravitated towards you know an, an understanding that you don't have to be the the tough um you know I'm going to take this and I'm going to take like everything and write that you know, actually one of my close friends, Steve Fraser has been doing a lot of work with the Canadian mental health association, developing programs to support firefighters. And, and wouldn't it be great if that was extended to wildland firefighters as well? So maybe that's something to um, take away from, from this
0: podcast. Um, yeah. I, I did see that there was a, uh, A project coming out uh the province is looking for for that type of support but you know i mean in a a lot of regards it's just it's it becomes a badge of honor right you come back to the base and you go i did this and i had a tree and my eye was on fire because there was an ember in it and i still fell the tree you know and 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 you come back and you 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 wear that you know that that emotional toll as some sort of badge and and then you you bury the rest deep down below and never deal with it so
1: yeah right it's it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, Hey, I'd love to spend more time talking about some of those other stories. Uh, well, we're not going to we'll look at the time. Wow. We're, we're, out, we're out of time. We here. both have jobs,
0: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but Hey, I do want to thank you, John. I know you, um, you mentioned eating what you kill, right. And being, uh, your consultant and your time is valuable. So I want to thank you very much for spending time with us. And, uh, this actually wraps up our, from the peak, 2021 podcast season so you're sort
0: of our last special guest Yay. of the year <laughs> yeah. well that's great you know at any time it's, it's uh yeah it's always fun to talk about you know what you're passionate about and yeah. you know, especially with a good friend so i appreciate the opportunity and I, and i hope it was worthwhile for
1: uh for listeners absolutely. And Hey, we'll put your, um, your contact information so that if people want to reach out, uh, and, and connect with you more on, on some of the things that you've talked about today. Cause, uh, again, there's a, this is a, a part of the, a part of the podcast. Um, John, my friend, we're going to wrap up now and, um, thank you again. All right, Howard.
0: from the peak Peter and Howie look forward to exploring another topic with you soon and both wish you the best on your journey to the peak